We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're going to be talking about certainty and uncertainty, what it means and what it doesn't mean. We've talked a little bit about that in the past, but we live in a world in which certainty is required of us. Not only are we required to know for sure in our jobs and our schools, but our science dictates that we should come to conclusions. Our history dictates that we should come to conclusion. Our medicine dictates that we should have a clear diagnosis. Our, our um, religions dictate that we should have a definite image of who God is. These are all the ways in which we think we have to know. And what I'm suggesting today is that perhaps knowledge comes in a different package than the one we've superimposed over it. Perhaps knowledge is really something that we are experiencing even as we are in the experience itself. When we talk about knowledge and certainty, what we generally are talking about is trying to find evidence for. And in our world, we think evidence is physical. We think evidence is uh, provable. We think evidence means if I turn the light switch on, the light comes on. And it does that consistently every time. So I know there's a connection between that light switch and that light bulb going on. And that may be true. And then again, somebody may have provided some kind of trickery where in fact that light switch is going on for some, um, the light bulb is going on for some other reason. But our, our, our science says that there's a certain protocol and we have to have uh, a, a certain number of double blind studies before we are able to really prove that this is factual. Humanity came up with these designs for science. And therefore, they are fallible. Uh, if humanity comes up with something and says, okay, now now it's credible. Now this means that it's credible because this is the way we're going to prove credibility. And what we've done is we've said, okay, now I'm going to convince my mind that this means that, it, that this is true. Uh, these certain protocols are convincing enough for me to say, okay, this is a fact. And we live out of that, and I, I certainly have no problem with science and that I really am very interested in many scientific studies and find them uh, the research to be uh, very, very interesting and the process of research to be equally interesting. So this is not to say that science is not a good thing. It is to say that science is 
just like everything else, an effort to prove uh, facts, to prove reality, to say, okay, now we know. Now we know. And what I'm saying is even those things that we know are alterable and changeable. For uh, once upon a time, we thought that uh, that a chair was simply a chair. Now we begin to see that a chair is a bunch of quarks and other smaller molecular components that uh, that are just thrown together in the shape of a chair. How and why that happened? Well, somebody built the chair. We could say, well, how you know what what does that what was the makeup of those things that were put together to make the chair? So if I were a tiny element. I might fall through for many miles before I finally landed on some quark that could hold me or some molecular particle that could hold my my body. So is the chair really trustworthy if I'm that small? Probably not. So it, you know what we understand as fact is changeable. What we understand as diagnosis is changeable. People diagnose people all the time. I had a friend who is a doctor tell me one time only 35% of the illnesses known to mankind are diagnosable. That leaves a, a good 70% of, of 60% of the diagnoses undiagnosed, the illnesses undiagnosable. So there's some uncertainty there. There's for questions. And certainly there are considerable misdiagnoses every day. But we think we have to know. And so we're looking for the knowledge that offers us the potential for treatment. And the potential for treatment offers the potential for hope that we'll be okay. And so knowledge is in which we're seeking to be okay. And uncertainty is which we feel that we're definitely not okay. We're not okay in the world of uncertainty. We are okay in the world of knowledge. And that very sense of thing creates uh, uh, sort of that selling that, you know, let me get back over here on the ground where I can say, oh, I know this is a fact. The client says it's a fact. No, this is a fact because... Bible is a fact, because the Quran says it's a fact, or the Book of Jesus says it's a fact, or, or, or perhaps history says it's a fact. You know, we, we look for history and we say, these are the facts of history, but really, who's, who's telling the story? There are people who say, what are the wars that are telling the story? The politically are telling the story. Uh, the uh, politics of the day are telling the story. The money is telling the story. What's true about that? What's false about that? Is going to be a largely unknown reality because people in history are probably the only people really know, it, and they might not know it because they're viewed along the lines of personal experience. So can we really count on history to give us the facts? It's dubious. Again, science has given us a great deal of information that we call factual, and I cannot say that it's factual saying is that after the facts there's a lot of unknowns and under and in each fact there are a lot of unknowns so that is why science has had to become smaller and smaller and smaller in its research so that now we we don't research the heart we research this valve of the heart or the cellular components of the heart or whatever we 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 research a smaller and smaller fragment because we know now that, of course, based on the uh, criteria of science, the, of the protocol of science research itself, we have to be able to work with material that we can actually prove. And, of course, we, we know we all start off with a null hypothesis, 
hypothesis that says that it starts off with an unknown. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. And uh, so you prove the null hypothesis wrong. In that process, however, what we what we come to, what we have to know is the very protocol we have elected to be our, our clarifying criteria is something we have elected. And therefore, it is by that very nature bound to be faulty to some degree. So, uh, you know, and even beyond that criteria, there's reliability studies and, and validity studies that ha- that uh, at- require us to use certain protocol for re- reliability and certain protocol for validity. How skewed are those along the lines of human error? Those are things. Those are question marks that we have, and yet we tend to think that if science didn't say it was so, it must not be so. If medicine didn't say it was so, it must not be so. If history didn't say it was so, it must not be so. If religion didn't say it was so, it must not be so. And so we have built our lives around that, in that little box, in that box of thought, we have built our lives. And so we have built our hospitals and our financial organizations. Uh, Speaking of, let's talk about the economy as a certainty. We all know that we're in uncertain times with regard to the economy. We all know that there are stocks and bonds out there in certain ways of behaving that are supposed to be ethical with regards to stocks and bonds. We all know that there are 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 certain objective ways of looking at uh, the market to be able to pull more uh, financial well-being out of it. Um, And there are certain ways of trading that help us to be more financially sound. You know, some people are expert at that. I am not and do not claim to be. But I am saying that, again, we are – Given some knowns and we're given some probabilities with regards to the gamble of risking the market, and we base a lot of our livelihood on that very thing, that very objective. And we say, okay, this is going to be my known, and this is how I'm going to be okay. Um, some people literally gamble. Uh, go to the go to the gambling parlors uh, and all over the nation and gamble as their way of literally making a living. There are people who do not work and they make their living based entirely on the winnings of their gambling. And uh, they would say that there's a method for this and a probability and a protocol and a way of doing it and a, and a magic and a non-magic and it works together. And this is what I know and this is what I'm doing because I, this is what I know. Um, and yet – you, if you really try to measure out those probabilities, well, you know, you might have to say, well, that's a big risk. And it is. It absolutely is. And it, the market is a risk and science is a risk and history is a risk and religion is a risk and everything else we know is a risk. Why is that so? Because we don't really know anything. <laughs> we don't really know anything at all, period. How does that feel? Can you sit with that for just a minute and just – See how that feels? How frightening is that? How comfortable is that? Is it okay that we don't know anything at all? Is it, are you okay if we don't know anything at all? Because really, we really don't. We absolutely don't. I, I, you know, I was told that I was born on a certain day. That's on my, uh, on my birth certificate. And maybe that's true. I, I think it is. I mean, I totally believe it is, but that doesn't make it so. Um, astrology is based on certain facts about people's birth uh, their and their birth time, their birth date, their birth place. Are those things really facts? I don't know. Is a, Astrology is a highly interpretable art. 
And uh, so some people rely entirely on it. Some people won't make a single decision in their lives without consulting their ephemeris. And uh, I would say that that's a really kind of uh, walking on eggshells way to live. But I, but I certainly am a, a believer in astrology, and I certainly do. I am an astrologer, and I, I do astrology for people uh, professionally. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to base my life on it. Why? Because I don't know anything. I don't know anything at all, period. That is what I'd like for you to sit with while we take this commercial break, and we're going to come back to talk about it some more in just a few minutes. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming healthcare. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. 
You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Hi, we're back with the Authentic Living Show. And you know this show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. And we're talking today about uncertainty. The reason Noetic uh, organization was founded was to do some research on things that seem largely unresearchable by other organizations. Um, I just had a long discussion with my brother recently about science and the, the power of science to, uh, to really actually be factual and how much of that can be trusted and how much of it can't be trusted. It's interesting dialogue. But the, the whole idea is that uh, we are we have spent, as we said in the previous segment, a lot of our years relying on science. Prior to that, we relied on religion. Prior to that, we, we relied on a different kind of religion. Prior to that, we relied on the mystery. And that's what I want to talk about today, the mystery. What is the mystery? Until we began to, to um, make sacrifices to the gods, life was a mystery. When we started making sacrifices to the gods, we started saying, somehow I'm going to resolve the riddle of life. Somehow I'm going to make a connection between my sacrifice and what happens over the next year. And in so doing, we began that process of saying, we know now. But actually, do we really? How does a person begin the process of leaning into the mystery and why would you want to? So let's talk first about why we'd want to. Why we want to is because leaning into the mystery offers a greater peace than any knowledge can ever offer. Why? How do I know this? Well, I know it personally because I've experienced it. You'd have to do your own experiment to find out if you if you agree with me. But uh, with regard to why that benefit, the benefit is that we relax into the flow of life without having to try to make it happen a certain way. Now, I know that there's a lot out there right now about the law of attraction that has been for the past 20 years that says we're supposed to be making life happen a certain way. And if we're not, well, we're going to fall back into that default position where life happens in a very negative fashion because we have negative thoughts and negative emotions. And I would say that uh, that premise is faulty because it is us bargaining with the universe in the same exact way that the man who made the sacrifice was bargaining with the gods to make sure he had a good crop or a good hunt for the next year. So that bargain says, if I do this, then the universe will give me that. And in my book, The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can, those of you who've read the book know that there's a, 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 law, a chapter in there about the sacred texts. There's another chapter about how thought is not the magnet. And finally, there's, cha- there's other chapters in there as well, but there's a chapter in there about how we can surrender to the flow. Well, surrendering to the flow uh, is all about leaning into the mystery. It is, it is sort of falling backwards into the river of life and allowing that river to just carry us. Now, here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean we don't ever uh, have desires that we seek out. 
I don't mean that we're lazy and do nothing with our lives. I don't mean that we're just sitting around waiting for the universe to drop things in our lap. Those are the things I don't mean. What I do mean is that when we're surrendered to the river, we become the river and the river becomes us. So that the river takes the initiative. Life energy itself, or uh, as I would call it, the divine self, as the Bhagavad Gita would call it, the divine self begins to initiate the activity in our lives. Therefore, the part of us that thinks we have to bargain with the universe because we're somehow separate from everything in the universe ceases to clamor. And the river, or I call the river of life, the divine self, that soul energy that is who we are at our bottom line essence uh, has to do with pulling initiative, breaking through uh, the denial that is that other part of us that says we are separate from everything and everyone and the divine. Uh, We break through that because the river is stronger than all of that and it just breaks through and it begins to be the performer in our lives. It begins to be the thinker and the feeler and the and the doer in our lives. And we become the river and the river becomes us. And that is what I think the Buddha was talking about. Of course, that's my translation. If you don't agree with me, go get your own translation. And I'm perfectly fine with that. But it, what I how I translate that is that the Buddha was saying when we surrender into the no-self, uh, what we're doing is falling into the river so that we become the river and the river becomes us. And that is how we get into the flow of universal energies. Because as long as we think that we're separate from the divine or separate from everything else on the earth, then we feel like we have to go out and get it. We have to go externally and get it. But actually, that's not what our sacred texts tell us. And that doesn't fit into the paradigm of leaning into the mystery that I'm talking about today. Leaning into the mystery means that what I think I know may not be what is true. Leaning into the mystery means I have to take the risk to, to, to let myself fall backwards and have some kind of, of uh, awareness that there is something there that's going to catch me <laughs> because we just won't let ourselves fall if we don't some, somewhere have that information. And now that's not a known, that's not a knowing, that is an experience. And experience, when we translate the word, there's a, uh, there's a um, metaphorical story that is taken from the Bible and some other sacred texts that has to do with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, I translate that story to mean this, that once upon a time we lived in full awareness of divine self but without form. When we came into form, we, uh, we began to see ourselves as separate from the divine as part of the creative endeavor. Part of the creative endeavor was to ask the question, is form separate from formlessness? And that is the same kind of question you ask when you start to do a painting. Uh, I just completed a painting the other day, and uh, it came up out of me, and I just put it on the canvas, and that's what happened. Um, yeah, I did not decide in advance how it was going to be. The questions were asked as I was in the creative endeavor. Will this color go here? You know, yes, let's try that here. Oh, let's put it here. That is part of the creative endeavor. And that is what was asked when we became form. We were asking the question, is form separate from the formlessness? And so we've been asking that question ever since. And in the process of leaning to the mystery, we begin 
to fall into the notion that form and formlessness are one. But we don't fall into that notion as a kind of knowledge because I can't make you know this. I can't make me know this. It, it can't be known in the typical classic senses of the word knowledge. The word knowledge as it's used in that word tree of knowledge of good and evil actually means experience, journey. It doesn't mean that kind of factual knowledge that we count on so much with our history and our science and our medicine and our economy, economic, economics. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't fall down into that. So there has to be some kind of shift inside of us before we're willing to take the risk to lean into mystery. And that shift, as I see it, is that we begin to go inside of ourselves and find something in there. And that's a kind of experience. It's not the kind of knowing that you get from knowledge that is factual. That is, I know that this sofa is here because I'm sitting on it. Uh, this chair is here. I know it is because I'm sitting on it. That that kind of experience is it, it has its own information. So I am sitting on this chair, and this chair is holding me up. But if this chair should break and I should fall, then that would be another experience, and that would be a kind of information as well. Um, so that is leaning into the mystery rather than. Uh, I can see the chair, I can feel the chair, I can taste the chair, I can smell the chair, I can sense the chair, therefore there is a chair. That's all empirical data. But this kind of leaning into the mystery is not based on empirical data, although your senses are still very active when you're in this kind of experience. So, so what I'm talking about is a different kind of knowledge, and I even hate to use the word knowledge because it can be very confusing when we use the same word for two different things. So I call it leaning into the mystery. It is that ability to, to go inside of yourself, to uh, find things in there that are meaningful, to find things in there of which you're unconscious, to find the games that you play inside yourself, to find the, the uh, mysterious elements of yourself that you can't even wrap words around, to find... Uh, some of the lies you tell yourself, some of your denial, to find what some people would call sins but are actually uh, misconceptions of reality. To find those things and be with them, not try to get them to change or, or try to insert some new data, but rather to just be with them just as they are. You know, when I find something inside of myself that my first reaction to it is is to, to judge it, then I have to sort of allow myself to pull back a little bit from that judgment and just kind of be with it. And very often what I do when I'm being with it is I laugh because it's funny, the games that I play. They are funny. Why are they funny? Because they're just so ridiculous. They're not going to change anything. They're not going to make reality be any different than they are. They're not going to change people. They're not going to change me. They're not going to do anything. They're just games to try to get my head in a different place so I can feel more secure. And so I look at those games and I, and I laugh. This morning, this very morning, I was driving to work and I uh, went past a Japanese tulip tree that happens to be in bloom where I am. And I found myself not being able to appreciate the beauty of that tree because it was just wrong. It is February. 
it is not time for a Japanese tulip tree to be blooming. But there it was. And when I found that game inside my head going, you can't let yourself enjoy this because it's wrong for it to be there, I laughed because I was playing a game. It wasn't reality. The tree was gorgeous. So we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about what we can find inside of ourselves and leaning into mystery. Stay tuned for more. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming healthcare. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about uncertainty and what it means to lean into the mystery. We talked in the first segment about the various ways that we attempt to know. And we've talked in the second segment, uh, we began the discussion about what it is like to begin the process of leaning into the mystery and what we would have to do in order to make that happen. And we also talked just a little bit about the benefits of leaning into the mystery. So let's talk some more about what it is like to begin that process of leaning into the mystery. I said just before the break the little story about the Japanese tulip tree that I saw this morning and uh, I was driving by and, and, and failed to let myself realize how would be to admit that it was looking like spring even though I was not ready at all for it to be spring. And that is a small and laughable way in which we uh, try to control the reality we see every day with our minds. We, we try to make things into something else with our minds. And they are not that, but we say they are, you know. And so the tree was just not as beautiful as it was because I was not going to let it be. 
And yet when I saw that myself, I laughed at it, and then I saw the tree as beautiful because it was incredibly beautiful. Now, that's a very minor example of how that can work. We do that with people, places, things, events, circumstances. We are constantly interpreting our reality along the lines, skewed, very definitely skewed along the lines of whatever we think we need or want or fear or feel insecure about in our lives. And so we have biases against races. And so we have biases against certain sexual orientations. And so we have biases against uh, certain uh, kinds of religion. Uh, we have all kinds of biases. And some of those are not even bad biases. I mean, I have a bias against turnip greens. <laughs> They're not ever going to go into this mouth. But, you know, I, that's so that's an okay bias. So bias in and of itself is not wrong. But it it does say something when it comes to looking at reality it does say something about us and when we can go into our unconscious material and by that i don't mean knocking down some arcane door deep in the spiritual nuances of some kind of uh uh what is the word i'm looking for something that's formless i'm actually able to go to inside myself further and further and further because I'm willing because I'm willing to see without judgment. It is our self-judgment that keeps us from going inside of ourselves. We, we don't want to know ourselves because we're afraid that what we're going to find when we go in there is some kind of dark, depraved, evil person. And we will have to judge that person because he or she is just not as good as we hoped that they would be. And actually, that is why, in part, we have an unconscious. Part of the unconscious is formed out of our self-judgments because we want to see ourselves as worthy people. And so we repress anything that makes us feel unworthy. And uh, that's where it lies. It lays down in there and then it performs. It acts out of its own energy. We sent it down in there hoping it would never act. But really, all that happens is it acts. We just don't see it. Other people see it, but we don't see it. And that's how the unconscious is. So when we start saying to ourselves, I'd like to know more about what's in my unconscious, what we're probably going to run into first is some repressed material. And so I had repressed the fact that I didn't want it to be spring yet <laughs> uh, because I'd rather have longer winters because I live in a warm climate and I like cold weather. So uh, what I wanted was not what was happening. And so I changed reality to fit what I wanted to happen. And then I laughed at myself. Um, and in that same way, we can uh, have have all kinds of difficulties with Reality. I used to spend a lot of time apologizing for things I hadn't even done. Somebody else would do it, and I would play, I would take the blame for it, because uh, somehow that became my role growing up as a child, and and I lived out that role for many years. And so that's how I saw life. That's how I saw reality. And if somebody had tried to tell me that that was not the true reality of my life, I would have I would have called them liars. I would have defended with vigor my position of needing to apologize for other people's mistakes because I thought that was the truth. Why? And why did I need to believe that? Because I needed to know something in order to feel that I existed. I needed to have some kind of identity in order to feel that I existed. That's what we're looking for when we come here. We're looking for an identity that says, this is who I am. And even if that identity is completely 100% untrue, we will own it 
because at least it's an identity. At least it's somebody, somebody's home. I don't not exist. I don't have to live with that horrible, horrible feeling of non-existence. Okay, so when we, we first get here, what we're looking for is mirrors in the faces of our environment, uh, uh, the, the parents, the siblings, the, the surroundings that we live in. Those people are informing us of who we are. How does that happen? Well, we come here looking for that. We At two months old, I've said this before, but I'm going to run through it again. At two months old, we're looking at our fist and we're saying, that's me. A few months later, we reach out and we grab a rattle and we stick the rattle in our mouths and we say, oh, the rattle's me too. It takes us the next five to ten years to begin to separate out those fine distinctions between me and not me. And in all of those years, what's happening is we're incorporating a lot into me that isn't really me because it's somebody else's stuff or it's uh, something other people need us to be. So if if uh, I need to take the blame for other people's stuff as a way of coping with reality, then that's what I'll do. I'll take the blame for other people's stuff, and that's how I exist. Now I exist. I know what to do. I have a knowing. But do I really? Then later, years later, I run into that same material again, and I have to question it because it's no longer working for me. And how do I know it's no longer working? Because I've run into the wall it creates over and over and over again so much that I'm bloody and I finally go, okay, okay, let me turn around and look at reality. That's how, as I said in the book, The Law of Attraction, the soul's answer to why it isn't working and how it can, that crises can become our best friend because they wake us up. They have, or they can. We, we can choose to stay asleep, but they can wake us up. And so I chose to wake up. And in the process of waking up more and more and more, what I've come to realize is that I can go to deeper and deeper and deeper levels of who I am. So I'm only using myself as an example, not because I am the example, because I'm absolutely not. I'm using myself as an example is because I can say it clearly and in a way that I can total, have total confidence in. So rather than using case studies, I'm using myself as the example. So, so what I say here is that when I discover something in myself that I don't like, um, I have to ask myself, who is the me that doesn't like it, and what is the thing that I've discovered, and why isn't it liked? Okay, so then I have to say, okay, who is the judger, and who is the be- who is the one being judged? So now I find that there's two different voices inside of me, the judger and the judged. So what does the judged feel like? What is the What does it feel like to be judged? So I can sit with that for a few minutes and just sit with it. That's just all there is. Just sit with it. Then I go over to the other side and say, what does it feel like to be the judger? Well, in me, what I've found is when I'm the judger, I feel like I know. I know what is right and wrong or what is true and false, and that's it. I know. And therefore, I can look at that other part of me and say, I know what's wrong, and you're it. (laughs) And so then the other part of me feels feels challenged and sometimes hopeless and sometimes defeated and sometimes uh, incapable of moving beyond that because it's going but how can i change this i don't know how to change this you're telling me i'm wrong but i don't know how to make it right and so i've got this battle going on inside of me between what i think i know and what is actually happening and then i go to another level the next level is Okay, I'm going to sit with the part that's judged again, and I'm going to ask it for its gift. I'm going to ask it what it has to give me, and I'm going to begin to listen to what it has to give me. And what I find is that it always has something to give me, some message, 
some part of me that I have denied because I thought it was wrong, some strength even that I can actually use to make my life uh, sure um, so I can put it out into the external world and I can walk in it and talk in it and it becomes uh, another way of being confident about my essence even as I'm learning, leaning into the mystery. Because leaning into the mystery does not mean lacking confidence. <laughs> That's the mystery. That's part of the paradox of this mystery. The more you lean into the mystery, the more confidence you have. Because the river is carrying you. And you begin to experience that. And it becomes the newest reality and the best reality. And you begin to trust it. So, again, the process is one where you say, okay, what is the gift in that thing that I'm judging? So, okay, let's say I go in there and I find... So, okay, let's let's try this one. You are too sensitive. Here's the judger. You are too sensitive. You should not be so sensitive. You're just, you know, you take everything the wrong way because you're just too sensitive, right? So, okay, I look at the sensitivity and I go, how does it feel to be judged like that? And the sensitivity says, it feels painful. It feels hopeless. I don't know how to stop being sensitive. What is that about? I don't know how to stop being that. So, it feels crushed. It feels incapable. It feels small. It feels less than because this other part of me, it knows what's right and wrong and sensitivity is wrong. Okay. So then I sit with the sensitivity some more and I say, okay, what is your gift? What is your gift? And sensitivity says to me, I am extremely sensitive to what's going on in any room at any time. I can feel what's going on in the room, not only intuitively, but with my actual emotions. I can feel that. And that becomes a strength that I can begin to use. So now my sensitivity is part of my power. Okay? So now it's not being used to take things personally, but rather it's being used to say, I feel when you touch me. And I, I recognize that feeling. And I, and I can feel hurt and I can feel pain, but I can also feel joy and I can feel connection and I can feel... Um, a, a, um, a mercy that's happening in the room. I can feel compassion. I can feel all kinds of things that are going on in that room. That is the gift from my quote-unquote oversensitivity. Now, because I did that work uh, many years ago when many people have called me too sensitive, and I'm sure that there's many of you out there who've also been called too sensitive, and usually called that by people who didn't want to admit to the fact that they just stomped on your feet. But, but uh, so it's, you, that idea of being too sensitive has now become a fallacy to me. There's no such thing as being too sensitive. There is such a thing as misperceiving reality. There is such a thing as taking something personally that was not personal. But there is no such thing as being too sensitive. Um, because our sensitivity is a part of our gift, is a part of our humanity. And it, and it becomes a useful tool if we know how to use it. So that's one way. You see, I've given that example as a way of saying this is part of how we begin to lean into the mystery. We ask questions. There are so many of us who are just absolutely going to refuse to ask questions because we know what we know. We've come to know it. We've worked hard to know it. We're not going to ask any questions about it because that is how we feel like we're grounded on planet Earth. And if you pull that rug out from underneath us, we are not going to know who we are or what is secure and what is insecure. That, that belief is what keeps us locked into the same position. Our politics, our religions, 
our economics, our health care, our history, our science are all to some degree locked into that because they are based on I know what I know. Now, a true scientist knows how to question even what he knows. But I find that those true scientists are rare. They, uh, there are many out there, but they're rarer than those who say, okay, this is the facts. This is what we know. And that's how it is. Um, so now that's a bias on my part. I'll own it. That's my bias. Uh, and I can be proven wrong. Certainly, if you have information to the contrary, please feel free to contact, contact me and let me know that I am absolutely wrong. Uh, but uh, I do find that that's sometimes true. When we get to that place where we think we know, we just don't want to budge. And that stubbornness keeps us locked into, sometimes, into mystery, misery instead of mystery. We're going to come back in just a few minutes and talk more about the benefits of leaning into the mystery. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness Research is transforming healthcare. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260 day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. 7th Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're in the final segment of our show today talking about leaning into the mystery, what that means and what it is to lean into the mystery and the benefits of leaning into the mystery. So we've talked just a little bit about why we hold on to uh, the facts, what we call the facts, what we think we know uh, in science, in medicine, in religion, in history, in economics. What we hold on to is what may be keeping us from moving, be- moving beyond or growing into something else. But 
we've done that because to do otherwise makes us feel like we don't have a, a secure place to stand. And so knowing, thinking we know, seems to be very important to us. But we've also talked about the fact that leaning into the mystery not only allows us a lot of room for creativity and uh, uh, the potential for changing our lives, but it also grants us a, a broader spectrum of peace. Um, and so we talked also about how we can begin the process of leaning into the mystery, how that works. And I want to say just a little bit more about that and then say something else about the benefits of of leaning into the mystery. We, uh, As we get to know ourselves at deeper and deeper levels, what happens is we, we come down to that part of the unconscious wherein resides the divine. The divine has been repressed for many centuries because uh, to admit or to acknowledge that we were divine beings was to blaspheme, which was tantamount to asking ourselves to uh, suicide. To, you know, if somebody finds out we are admitting to that heresy and they would literally kill people for, for doing that. Um, so we learned over the centuries to keep our mouths shut and not only keep our mouths shut, but keep our heads shut because we didn't want to know that. And so we repressed more and more of our divine nature, all the while longing more and more for the divine. And in the process of doing that, what we did was we began to uh, not be able to access the divine, and we began to feel more and more and more separate from the divine. And the more separate we felt from the divine, the more we had to institute strong, rigid rules to put us in touch with the divine. But we're finding now, as we explore this whole thing, this whole history and spirituality itself, that those rigid rules are just not helping us. They're not helping us to to find spirituality. They're not helping us to find truth. They're not helping us. They're only keeping us in a little box. And so more and more of us are beginning to ask questions, and that is the beginning of the process of leaning into the mystery. But once we've gotten down to those levels where we begin to really be comfortable asking ourselves questions uh, because we're not going to be judging ourselves for the answer – what we begin to do is make contact with our own inner divine nature. And we begin to experience that at profound levels so that through meditation we can experience powerful, even biological um, senses of peace so that we – our body begins to shift and change and our mind begins to shift and change and we have information downloaded that we didn't we don't know where we got it from and we begin to recognize deeper and deeper aspects of ourselves and come to terms with deeper aspects of other people so that we really can connect with them at a profoundly deep level that we were not able to connect with them before because why because we knew because we knew so here's what I'm saying. Knowledge stands in the way of our true uh, life experience. Knowledge very often stands in the way of true life experience. When we fall into the river, when we fall backwards into the river, that is mystery. What we begin to do is have experiences that are a kind of knowledge and again, I hate to use that word knowledge because, like I said, using the same word for two different things is confusing. Um, what I call it is mystery because it isn't it isn't provable. It isn't something or it's not provable in any sense that science or history or economics or medicine can prove it. It's 
it, it is only in the experience itself that we come to know. And it is what some could, would call a truth, although that word is a little bit dubious as well because I don't know what truth really is. <laughs> so when I try to intellectually grab hold of a truth, it falls through like I'm trying to put it through a sieve. It just doesn't hold. So I'm comfortable, more and more comfortable over the years, leaning into the mystery. That is, I I'm, I'm don't have to know. I don't have to know in order to be okay. My okayness does not come anymore from knowing, though once upon a time it did. It does not anymore. Now it comes from a sense of myself that is uh, just an experience, that I am my life, not my life owns me or I either like or dislike my life. I am that life. And so it is me and I am it. And I am the river and the river is me. And I am divine and the divine is me. So the divine operates as me, through me, as me. Uh, I don't become a different Andrea. I become the Andrea that is divine. And that doesn't mean I become good. Uh, that doesn't mean I become good. Good and bad are terms that are relative to the duality trans-state. It means that I come alive. Now, am I saying that I'm fully alive and I fully embrace mystery? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that I know everything or, or that, that you should have the same experience I've had. What I am saying is that mystery is something worthy of leaning into. And when we lean into it, the benefits are we begin to create something new. Why? Because we're asking questions. Asking questions is the creativity process itself. And that is why we began in the beginning to ask the question, it is form separate from formlessness. Now... I can ask all kinds of questions to my own psyche. I can ask it what it's doing when, it, when I find it doing something. When I find myself in a certain behavior that I don't understand, I can say, what are you doing? <laughs> and I can ask and answer that question without judgment. And very often I get to that laugh you just heard, that I'm just laughing and going, well, there it is. That's what I'm doing. And isn't that silly? Isn't that ridiculous that I'm doing that? Because it's not going to make any difference whatsoever. It doesn't matter one jot or one tittle. Uh, whether or not I do this thing, it's not going to change my reality. And my reality is the mystery. So the more we can just allow ourselves to fall deeper and deeper into that mystery, the more creative we become. The more we're willing to look at all the options in a given scenario. So say I'm presented with a challenge, an economic challenge. Let's say I don't have enough money. And now, because I've leaned into the mystery and I'm willing and able to ask lots and lots of questions, I can begin to ask this particular state of existence lots and lots of questions. How did you get here? What are you doing? Uh, what could you do differently? What are some of the options for doing? Uh, what are, how, how are you thinking? How are you feeling? What's really going on with all this? Where are your fears? You see, these are all questions. And when we ask these questions and we, and we sit with it until we come to an answer, then what the answer we get isn't a definitive I know. It's another option. Another avenue of creativity. So we begin to go, okay, well, let me walk down this avenue and see what happens next. Let me try this and see what happens next. I talk to people all the time that say, I need to know that my spouse is not going to cheat on me. And you know what I say to them? You're never going to know that. And that is so hard for us to imagine living with. You can't know that. <laughs> That's a mystery we have to lean into. And so what they're trying to do is control their spouses instead of leaning into the mystery. 
that love absolutely is. You love them, you take the risk to give them your heart, and if they cheat on you, you'll figure that out when the time comes. So there it is. That's just one example of how living in the mystery allows us a little more peace. And next week, we're going to be talking to Philip Goldberg about the American Veda. He's going to talk to us about how Indian spirituality has changed the Western thinking. And I'm really excited about this interview, so I want you to be there for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.